Everybody, welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting, the show where you tune in, and if you're a cafe member, that means you're leaving with a free T-shirt. Oh, right off the top, eh? Let's just dive into Dang. it, Wei. The winner is okay. Um, no drum roll, nothing like. All righty, congratulations to. Rory. Rory. Uh, you know what? Sorry. I Sorry, Rory. Choose, I can't choose you, Rory, because you didn't put your address here, but um, uh, oh, I feel boy, bad. For, I, I'm not even going to say your last name, but uh, I guess if you're named Rory, um, you're probably going to feel pretty shitty about this. So, uh, you know Maybe what? My cu- I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm only, I'm, since I picked the Rory, I'm going to pick another Rory. Okay. Okay. Um, Maury McConaughey. Congratulations, Rory McConaughey from Redford, Great Britain. So at least one of the Rorys will win. So at least one Rory can feel bad. But if you're any other Rory, um, and you didn't include your address, I mean, you probably feel, you'll probably feel pretty shitty for, for the rest of the, your life. Well, but, could have been. Yeah. But, uh, this Rory who did include his address into the, uh, his Patreon account, congratulations. Rory from Retford, Nottinghamshire. Well, if you are a cafe member and your name is Rory, try again next week. We will be giving out another shirt. So that will be your chance. How are you, eh? Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. Doing pretty well. Yeah, doing all right. Wednesday. I thought it was Thursday. Like I, I thought it was Thursday so hard that I took my garbage out for a curbside <laughs> pickup. Because usually my garbage gets picked up on Friday. So it wasn't until later on this evening that I was informed that, oh, it's actually Wednesday. Oh, dear. Well, I'm glad you realized before the show ended. Um, yeah, well, whatever. Like, what's a day? What's an extra day? I guess you can get, can you get ticketed or something for that? Putting your garbage out too early? Uh, oh, I didn't care about your, your garbage. I, I cared about uh, me doing the show on my own or not. That That's what I was concerned about. So I'm glad gotcha. you realized before before uh, 10 o'clock that today was Wednesday and not Thursday. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, usually I, I maintain my schedule based on what wrestling I'm supposed to watch that evening. And even though I knew AEW was on tonight, somehow I still thought it was Thursday. So I just, I mean, my mind's just playing tricks on me right now. Uh, Yeah, you're a Green Day song. Is that a Green Day song? Okay. Yeah, that. Well, we have uh, much to discuss on the show. We're going to get to Dynamite. Tonight, there was AEW, NXT, and UFC is still going on as we speak. So maybe by the end of the show, we'll have uh, all the results from uh, UFC. But they've got a a Wednesday night card, a rare Wednesday night show for UFC. Yeah, I know. Head to head to head. Three heads. Hydra. yeah, I mean, it was really um, just uh, everyone was uh, poking their head out on, on Wednesday nights, the most combative night in uh, pro wrestling and MMA, I guess. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah. 
Well, let us dive into uh, some news items. Anything you wanted to discuss off the top? No. Let's start off with New Japan. Harold May put out a video on Wednesday and discussed kind of the state of the company and also why they have opted not to run any empty arena shows. And Harold May did this very um, uh, very uh, nice video of just kind of outlining the fact that it's been devastating for them to have to cancel all of these shows, postpone the Madison Square Garden show. But they said that some of the restrictions are they're going, they want to protect the health and safety of their wrestlers and staff. And just doing so inside these empty arenas does not guarantee safety. And there's high rates of infection in Tokyo. So doing empty shows presents an, what he called unnecessary risk. They also don't own their own venues. So it's not a case where they can just have their own place to run. That's an obstacle. And maybe most importantly, he said, there's our social responsibility that we have to operate with the highest ethical standards. And we've been strongly advised to show the highest restraint and doing empty arena shows would simply reflect badly on us. Interesting statement from a large professional wrestling company to come out and say that. Um, I mean, it's just such a different tack than you hear from, and I'm not just saying wrestling or MMA, like of every, like everyone over here, it's just like this race to get back and how we can figure it out. And mm-hmm. I mean, New Japan is one that, I mean, they seem like they're hurting. They're hurting like many people are. And it seems like they are looking at just a much different mindset towards this, that we also have a certain responsibility given our prominence in, in this part of the world among the wrestling community. And we're not going to do anything like they, we are being advised not to, and there's probably ways we could cut corners and get back. If we want, we could do shows. It's pretty much what I took from this, but we're, we're choosing not to, because there's a larger reason we're not doing these shows. Yes. Yes. Well, I I do feel like it's important to um, consider that new Japan is one of those companies who actually, um, can afford to suspend shows without it completely crippling them. And certainly there, there are many companies that can do that on this side of the world as well without suffering any sort of, you know, crippling, um, uh, company altering ramifications. Uh, but you know, the ones that would be completely crippled if they didn't run shows, um, I think it's important to distinguish, you know, what new Japan's going through versus what some of those other companies are going through. But yeah, there's a difference, but their expenses are significantly more than all those other Japanese companies either. And they have no revenue, uh, minimal revenue coming in. I should, I should clarify. Well, sure. But if they aren't doing these shows, it doesn't mean that there might not be a new Japan pro wrestling in 2022. Whereas with some of these other companies, um, they're, they're facing that predicament. I just, I just feel like it's important to, you know, distinguish that, Hey, some companies actually have the, have the ability to, 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 put out a statement like this other companies really don't um but nonetheless the, we see uh, again on this side of the world companies that have very much have that same privilege decide to go the other way um but i you know it seems like they're really doubling down on, on i think sending out the message that they are doing this uh not just you know for safety reasons but also for ethical reasons for their own company which i find really interesting i mean almost a, a bit of a critique of everything else that's been going on around the world uh, whether or not intentional, but it, it definitely kind of plays plays out that way. I, I do find it curious how um, they seem to be operating on a different, perhaps, uh, philosophy than stardom, at least to start. 
That's right. I mean, stardom, they, they were doing empty arena shows up until a point, and then they, they've kind of um, scaled back on that. But yeah, stardom was doing uh, empty arena shows. Um, he added as well that some of the positives here is that their performers have been able to heal up and, and to rest during this period. He said subscriptions for New Japan World have not fallen significantly and classified like uh, merchandise sales online as being extremely positive. And then in kind of their roadmap, as they're calling it, to return to events, he said the first step would be doing live events in an empty arena. But that's only going to happen if the state of emergency restrictions are lifted, that the new number of uh, COVID-19 cases start to decline. And once matches can take place in a properly disinfected uh, and safe setting, he said matches would take place in Japan as well as their L.A. dojo in the U.S. The second step back would be slowly bringing fans back. And this would occur when wrestlers and staff are tested. Fans are subjected to temperature checks. Masks would be mandatory and arenas would have to be thoroughly disinfected and ventilated, mentioning that they would eliminate smoking areas in the venues that they run, um, as well as creating um, a a new uh, seating chart where space would be uh, created between seats to meet all the social distancing standards and they would start shows at half capacity. It sounds um, like they they were very thoughtful in in listing you know, this set of, uh, at this point, what seems like kind of ambitious, you know, a list of, of, of check marks. And, um, I, I would certainly as a fan be a bit more assured going to a show with a company putting that much thought behind it than, you know, being crammed next to, you know, just somebody like normal. It made me think that listening to this and uh, the great unknown is what overall consumer confidence is going to be attending shows i don't think anyone is expecting that it's just going to be back to normal instantly i think there's going to be that lag of people having uh confidence going back to shows and i wonder if in the long term when that that fan that is very hesitant to go back is going to look at these procedures now that are in place and saying okay well if i'm going to go to any show it's going to be new japan because these guys clearly are thinking about this the deepest and would be the, to me, the, the environment I'm going to feel safest in. And mm-hmm. I, and I wonder if that would be, if that is something that's going to be reassuring to fans, knowing if you're new Japan, that's a long way down the road that we're talking about this. And, and if that, you know, all, all, all this list of like, you know, check marks ends up being something that results in, I think, um, you know, increased um, confidence from, from your fan base after all this stuff is over. What it really does is set a template for all the other wrestling companies that are out there, uh, certainly in Japan, but maybe even this side of the world as well, you know, on directions and guidelines for them all to follow. When you go to another indie show next time, maybe they'll be handing out masks. Uh, maybe they'll be doing, you know, proper disinfection of every single thing. Maybe they'll be separating your seat, you know, a, a proper distance apart from all the other people around you. Like New Japan as a leader, at least at that part of the world, is setting guidelines for everybody else. Yeah, it's um I, I and I think that their New Japan's rollout plan to me seems very um realistic of what a lot of places are going to need to be doing uh when, mm-hmm. when they come back. But um so that's the update on on New Japan. Uh tonight several notes um coming out of both shows. First off, uh for AEW, uh the big one 
is that Mike Tyson is going to be appearing at Double or Nothing, and he will be there to present the TNT Championship to the winner of Lance Archer and Cody. And the way that this was uh, brought up on the broadcast way, it certainly felt like an insert and was probably something that just came together. Um, And just it it was almost like if you blinked, you missed it because it was uh, very quick uh, that they noted this. you know, Mike Tyson has been doing a, a lot of videos and teasing like a comeback that's getting a lot of people uh, talking about him. Um, MLW has made no secret about trying to uh, reach out to his team and, you know, go with the idea of, you know, trying to do something. Uh, but AEW gets Mike Tyson. What does Mike Tyson mean in 2020, especially in, in this uh, kind of capacity? This is obviously not 1998. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, like you said, this news really did come out of nowhere. Um, and, and was almost mentioned just so casually that um, it it was very uncharacteristic, I would say, of any sort of Mike, Mike Tyson announcement, especially as it relates to combat sports. So but the idea that this was, uh, you know, something that they added last minute definitely would, you know, make sense. Why did didn't get, you know, a bigger uh, push on the actual broadcast? But online, I mean, it certain, certainly seemed to be a big you know amount of talk, even, you know, in the short amount of time since the, the broadcast is aired. What does he mean in 2020? I still think he means a great deal. Um, maybe you know, not not him in his in his prime, not him in '98, not him at all in, in the '90s. But I would say Mike Tyson is still a big mainstream name. He still kept his aura, I would say, out there. And I think him in any sort of athletic, you know, combat sports like environment still means a lot. And especially for something like AEW, an up and coming company, it's a great, it's a great. Um, it's so so weird right now to even consider that like you know what we're suggesting right now is the possibility of mike tyson being involved in some sort of wrestling match um in 2020 i I don't think that's crazy at all yeah but like that to me is the interest level because you know tyson over the last week has accumulated like a lot of buzz about him with with that video that's gone everywhere of of him of him uh, sparring and to me i don't think that there's definitely people that would pay to watch him box i think most people don't want to see him box i think that's a frightening idea but the idea of he's got this little bit of buzz and appearing at this show the expectation will be he's shooting an angle and i think people are much more comfortable seeing this guy in a pro wrestling setting than any kind of legitimate fighting um environment so yeah it would be a real coup if they could get tyson on the uh next week dynamite's going to be live if they could get him on that show next wednesday to push double or nothing and do something big for that a uh, couple of days leading into double or nothing and it's you know i i i don't believe that you are uh spending the uh, the 1998 level of uh dollars for a uh, mike tyson that this could ultimately be something of a hook for the pay-per-view we'll see absolutely yeah how weird how strange would it be if like you know, 98, Mike Tyson, WrestleMania 14, you know, comes in and, I mean, arguably played a huge, huge role in, um, you know, the the Attitude Era and WWE, you know, ascending to its greatest peak. How crazy would it be if he could do the same for another wrestling promotion 20 years later? What always got me was that 98, they did, you know, an exceptional job with Mike Tyson. It was a big reason for the the momentum shift. And they just, they never did do the match with Tyson. And then they brought him in, like, years later as one of the, the guest hosts of Raw. And just threw out a match with him on TV, like, out of nowhere. 
I don't, like, no, I don't remember that. You wouldn't even remember it. It's like they just did this like throwaway thing with uh, Mike Tyson on an episode of Raw years ago. And you remember he like he uh, he knocked out Jericho. Um, he did that that whole thing. Oh, so, so Jericho can get some revenge. He maybe he'll get some revenge. Maybe he'll he has he has Floyd now. Maybe right. maybe that's the whole reason why he named it Floyd. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, Floyd I had no never... idea why he named it Floyd until maybe maybe Floyd's coming for Tyson. Generation versus generation. Uh, that would be an interesting connection. I mean, anyway, uh, how strange. Um, but it would be huge for AEW if if there was some extended involvement. I'm curious to see what kind of buzz Mike Tyson accumulates in, in 2020 over the next 10 days that they go into this. And I think it's a uh, more than a, than a worthy um, gamble on WWE's part – or sorry, on AEW's part. Yeah, I looked it up here. So it was January 11th, 2010, Shawn Michaels and Triple H against Chris Jericho and Mike Tyson in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wow. I, I, think, I think most people would totally forget that happened on an episode of Raw. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. Uh, over on NXT, they announced their next TakeOver special. It will be NXT TakeOver in your house on Sunday, June the 7th uh, on the network. So uh, doing a Sunday night TakeOver, um, utilizing the in-your-house branding. So maybe that was why they uh, went after uh, freelance wrestling. Could be, yeah. Uh, will they be giving away a house? Um. No, they can't even draw a house on this show, so I doubt they'll be giving one away. So, um, but nonetheless, doing uh, a Sunday night takeover special, and this will be at Full Sail University. I guess I would just love to know what exactly is going to be in your house like about this particular pay per view. Are we going to see the? They set? need to do the set. They've yes. got to do the set. Absolutely. Because what's the point of doing this if you're not going to do the set? Yeah. Which has to be just hanging around in that warehouse somewhere. I'm sure they can, or maybe do an updated version of it. But you 100 percent have to do the set. Oh, they could certainly build one if they really wanted to. Um, I think it's it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, we're at the stage now where I think they, they need any, anything uh, for a hook. And, um, you know, certainly for a pay-per-view special or quote-unquote pay-per-view special, right now it doesn't seem like, you know, they can really rely on big names coming in. So instead you have to rely on big attractions. And, you know, nostalgia makes for a big attraction. Who would have thought that? You know, something like bring back the in your house brand name and logo, and possibly the set would be enough to you know generate a good deal of buzz. But I think it certainly has. But the the expectation is going to be there that this is going to be a nostalgia heavy show. Um, what, you know, beyond the set, do you expect them to do anything else? They said like what? It seems like DX is going to have a big role in this. Yeah, they had Hunter Michaels and Road Dog do the introduction, which I mean. <laughs> In your house really predates uh, DX, but yeah. I, I guess I guess it all just gets, all there, uh, melted into the the nineties era. May, maybe we'll get Brett to show up and he'll bring out Hakushi Jinsei Shinzaki for a match um, against. Uh, I don't think Brett will be wrestling, but maybe he could uh, designate Hakushi to take on somebody. I mean, they still have a number of guys backstage. You know, you could have uh, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. You could have the Roadie. Oh, you 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 actually could do Jarrett and the Roadie. <laughs> I wonder how far they go with this because this that's that's very exactly yeah. th that's very much like a raw nostalgia kind of show and NXT has always trying to be the furthest thing from nostalgia so mm. it, it'll be interesting if they if they go full in because you could have a lot of fun going the whole nostalgia route but is, is that something you want to do that that's kind of counter to what 
NXT has tried to become. I don't know. At this point, I think, yes, because, you know, as long as you still offer at, at your core, like great wrestling, you know, as long as you still continue to put the value on your current roster, which I trust, you know, the Paula Bex team to actually do. I think you can dip your foot into nostalgia. Certainly. I think NXT is at that point now where, um, you know, they can they can do that. I think they have enough confidence in in in, uh, in, in its audience to, you know, stray away once in a while. And it'll be a great chance to see, like, what NXT can do with a nostalgia show. Because we can see already what Vince and, and Raw is able to do with, with their specials. And often, the latest ones have certainly been underwhelming. When you think back to, like, old school Raw... You think back to like, you know, any of their anniversary shows, like they've been incredibly weak when they did, when they have tried to do nostalgia. Will Hunter's group be able to do any different? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I think it's a interesting concept to, to at least try. I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it's something just to dress up a regular takeover special that's, you know, going to be limited by no audience, which is such a big part of those takeovers. Because the expectation is there, like if if we tune into the show and it's simply just the logo, um, and if it's just the set and then it's just a straight up takeover, the show might still be good, but I think I would be kind of disappointed on, you know, the the promise of this being a special takeover. Yeah. If they could hire Stephanie Wyan to come in and then give away a house, that that might be Maybe they do. They do your idea away. See, I, I've always like. I never really. It's great to win a house, but like, no, it's not. Well, yeah, exactly. What, what a burden! What a burden on the on the. That's on the what I mean. Like, I mean, you would you would have to move. You'd pack up your your life. You'd have like your family would have to quit their job. Your kids would have to say goodbye to their friends, and then obviously, like you know, the idea is that you could sell your house. Um. And do, you, do we know? Do we have an update on the guy who actually won the house? Oh, it was a whole thing at, at the time that, like, he ended up I, – I can't remember what happened to the house, but it was like so, – someone did, like, an update on it, and it was like the guy didn't stay there long, or I, – I, I can't remember the exact story. I'd certainly have to look it up, but – um, you know, it was like the idea of winning a car, for instance, you know, it's like, OK, let's let's go a little deeper here. Am I just winning this car? Who am I also winning the monthly payments? Am I also winning the right to pay insurance on this thing? It's like, what what have you just burdened me with by giving me a car? Well, you know who we should ask is our friend Brian Dunn, who recently appeared on The Price is Right and actually <laughs> won right. a car. His is like extra weird, though, because he I mean, he's a Canadian, so. Like, you know, how does that work? And I mean, is he getting taxed on the car? I, you know, I would imagine. Yeah. Who knows how that works? Okay. Well, maybe, maybe if there, if there's a big house to be given, we'll, we'll bring on an expert to, uh, to, to share our thoughts or their thoughts. What if it's a house and then it turns out it's like a house in Detroit? <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. You've, uh, you've just, you've just got a house that was recently foreclosed and we're, we're sending you to, um, uh, yeah, an, an area where it's um, less than ideal in this economy. Yeah, and you're and you're stuck with the mortgage of the people that lived there prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds well. Maybe maybe it would be the Firefly Funhouse. Yeah, that's what uh, you win. Uh, yeah, how how would you win that? Like, what would that consist of? Well, it's a state of mind, of course. So uh, <laughs> it would be a projection, you know. Okay. Well. Uh, Raw uh, projected very high this week. Yeah, they had a yeah. reversal of fortunes. Uh, 
For once, we can t- we can talk about WWE numbers not not sinking to new lows. Uh, they were up this week. This is now a victory when they hit a million nine hundred nineteen thousand viewers. In another era, this would be panic time. But uh, t- this week, that's up fourteen percent. Uh, they were up uh, enormously across the board uh, in their demos. In the main demo, up twenty four percent. Other big gains uh, with. Males 18 to 49, they were up 37% this week. Uh, 18 to 34s, up 33. Males 12 to 34, up 33%. The only, the only demo that didn't move at all was females 18 to 49, which was flat with last week and throughout the show declined 18%. Um, there were several, uh, drops throughout the show, but overall, this was, um, I think a lot of factors, uh, you know, you were coming off the pay-per-view, you had Edge and Orton, but I do feel it was the tease of the Becky announcement that probably um, got a lot of late viewers um, tuning in because these announcements tend to be like, you know, when WWE has a serious announcement and that's what this was positioned as. And but more importantly, they held these people for the show like there wasn't this gigantic drop off in the third hour uh, like usual. It was down, but not to the extent uh, that we're used to. So. It, you can't just say Becky because that was done with in the, that first half hour and people largely stuck around for the whole show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it helped that they had a, you know, relatively faster moving show uh, capitalizing on, you know, the audience that they were able to attract with the Becky announcement. Um, I'm curious to know how tonight's NXT does as well. You know, it seems like they've they have found <laughs> announcements. It. Yes, make announcements. They fixed empty arena shows. Just have a life altering announcement every single edition of wrestling TV. So uh, <laughs> they they really blew it today then by not just saying that tonight on SmackDown, Sami Zayn has a major announcement. You say that? Yeah, exactly. They should have saved it for SmackDown. Well, maybe there's still time. They could announce something else. Um, maybe it was a basketball game, John. You ever consider that? I, I, I mean, two on two basketball. I mean, it's um, may, maybe the Street Profits and Viking Raiders have have found that they are going to be the kings of the third hour. If we get if we get more sports next week in the third hour with those four, then uh, that'll tell you what the company thought of that that segment. I welcome it. More sports. What and can they do though? What can they do? Like, how many places are closed about? right now? Yeah, you could do baseball. Where? You can't get into a stadium right now. Uh, can't you like just you could find a diamond somewhere? You could probably do that. A lot of those places are like taped off and stuff. Have you have you been around any like local parks and stuff? Like everything's taped up. You can't. You're not supposed to touch any of this stuff. Maybe like um, I don't know, like uh, crochet. ping pong. Ping pong would be fantastic. Love would yeah. love to see wrestlers play ping pong. Though crochet, I mean, why not? Badminton, you know. You know what really got me, though, by the end of that segment? Like, it was so silly the way they executed it with the Viking Raiders losing and then saying at the end, oh, we, we are better than you. The template that they needed to recreate. Don't you remember that episode of Fresh Prince when Will is at the pool hall and he's deep in debt and all of a sudden Uncle Phil shows up and Phil gets badgered into playing and he's just sucking. He's brutal. And then he coaxes this pool shark into going double or nothing, and he just looks over. Jeffrey, my cue. And he has his customized cue, and all of a sudden shit's on, and Uncle Phil takes this dude to the cleaners. He was playing possum, but then he comes back, and he beats him. 
That's how that segment should have gone. It should have been the last quarter when all of a sudden the Viking Raiders get serious and it's a montage of trick shots and three-pointers and they come from behind and just destroy the cocky street profits in the last quarter. And they win instead of just saying, oh, well, we're better than you, even though you lost. Look, I don't give a fuck what you're telling me. That scoreboard tells me I won. So I don't give a shit what you just are telling me. I think that would have made a great deal of sense. Yeah. The way it when in out. doubt, go to the, the James Avery route. That's the key. Absolutely. Yes. You did not see that episode, did you? Because you did not chime in at all Dude, with I any kind I of don't recognition. Remember. I don't even remember, like, last week's Raw. I'm not going to remember Fresh Prince from, like, 30 years ago. I, I can remember most Fresh Prince episodes. Wow. Remember the one where uh, Will gets shot? Did you see that one? Don't remember. That was a serious one. Well, please give us a full recap. I'm not we going got to. Plenty we got, of time on we got to move on. We got to move on. I don't want our third hour to drop. Uh, FS1 on Tuesday night. Um, you know, the int- the number I was most interested in, I guess I, I sort of got an answer, was WrestleMania 3, which didn't crack the top 150. So I guess that tells you all you need to about how this pay-per-view did. We got... Uh, they did a one-hour WrestleMania Rewind, which was one of their network specials that they did on WrestleMania 3. That did 157000 And WWE Backstage was way up this week with a CM Punk on and Otis. That did 173, uh, but no number for WrestleMania 3. So I'm guessing that three-hour pay-per-view um, just didn't do well, and I'm kind of surprised. I, I didn't think it would be so low. It wouldn't crack the top 150 cable programs. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um... I find it interesting, especially when compared to the ladder match special and the rating that that one did. Ladder match one did, you know, for a Saturday night and going against uh, ESPN, they did just under uh, a million viewers. Um, you know, not not bad, especially in this this time period where, you know, there's not a whole lot uh, of different options out there for primetime programming. Um, it did all right. It sounds like it did better than all right. Don't you think for a, 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 a I don't know, it's essentially a compilation special? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I thought – like that – look at what FS1 is doing for these compilations. Like we're talking like 157,000 viewers on Tuesday night and over on Fox. I mean you're taking a, essentially the same thing and putting it onto Fox. It shouldn't be doing that much higher of a number Um Especially in in prime time where you you do have more competition, it was against a, a really big UFC card. That to me, if I'm a nostalgic wrestling fan, for um, I think it would be harder to grab people for yeah older matches and such. So I, I looked at that as a you know a very good number for WWE considering what they were up against and the kind of programming it was. So what are the lessons we've learned so far for these sort of you know taped specials? What what has worked and what hasn't? Well, I think that with FS1, it's just – it's such a low bar that I, I don't really even look at that as like, does this have a, a mass appeal among more? I'll tell you, with the greatest ladder matches special, that doing 996,000 viewers in prime time, I have no doubt that The Undertaker doc would have done exceptionally well on on a major uh, – on Fox if they had if they had gone out and got it. And I certainly believe The Undertaker special would have done really great if they substituted that for – um, the final hour of Raw. I think that would have done 1.8 million viewers. Yeah. Um. I 
I, I certainly, you know, judging by the amount of interest there seems to be amongst the hardcore fan base, I I would be confident in that. But um, I mean, who knows what the original intent is? It seems like they're pretty hell bent on like, you know, keeping it on the network as a as a way to grow the network. And I'm sure they have their own reasons. Uh, we Again, again, we don't know what the contracts for Raw State either. No. And, and I would imagine like if they would want like a separate deal for that Undertaker thing. I mean, I think it right. would be. We don't want to just hand it over and that's part of our raw deal. They would want something uh, above and beyond. Um, but one other thing about WrestleMania 3, like when I say the top 150, that's ranked by the 18 to 49 demo. Do you think that it's the audience that would be tuning in for that? It's an older audience that's not going to fall into that that demographic, that younger people. It's uh, WrestleMania 3 is either – it's very accessible on the network or eh, it's not in your wheelhouse that that's going to be something you're going to spend three hours watching on a Tuesday night. Um, I mean, I speak for myself as a 36 year old that it, it, it for me even has pretty limited appeal. You know, I mean, certainly I, I wouldn't switch off if I, you know, flipped through and saw Savage Steamboat. I'd watch that. Uh, I, I would even watch Hogan Andre, but beyond that, I, I can't really tell you how much else on that show I, I'd be curious about. Um, it's a, it's a show, pretty much all the atmosphere, Savage Steamboat, and the spectacle of the main event. Like, that's WrestleMania 3. It really is the spectacle of the of the venue. Do you feel like that number would be drastically different if it was an Attitude Era show? Um, Given that this one didn't crack the top 150, I, I don't think so. I, I think that this – and I was surprised because I thought having a three-hour show, the audience would grow. And I thought this would do surprisingly well. So I was completely wrong. So I, I don't know if these pay-per-views, if that, granted, this is one time they tried it. Maybe, you know, there was other factors, but I, I would assume that they are not going to go back to this. Um, do, do you think they try this again and do, do a three hour pay-per-view in that Tuesday slot? I could see them trying, you know, let's say, um, like a, like a, like an attitude era WrestleMania. I could see them trying, you King know, of the ring 98. That's the show for them to throw out. Oh, okay. Interesting. Like that that's going to be the show that if if you want to just um, you know, just for pure shock value, that's probably the event to show. Thing is, I don't know how much weight like promoting something as King of the Ring 98 really means to the average fan. You know, how many of those people are going to know that that one contains like, you know, um Taker Foley, right? Well, that's the job of Raw. Like and Raw did mm. a little bit of promotion for WrestleMania 3, but you could also have missed that that promo on Monday. But you compare it to, you know, let's say the greatest Hell in a Cell matches. Like, if you flip that on on your program guide, you can probably pretty much exactly, you know, know what to expect. I can see them doing more of these types of, you know, greatest blank matches. Yeah. Um, Dark Side of the Ring, conversely, which went against uh, the last hour of that WrestleMania 3 broadcast. Uh, they were not affected at all by that. 264,000 viewers, uh, 0.12 in the demo. Second highest in the series history. So this topped uh, Dino Bravo. It topped David Schultz uh, just behind Chris Benoit. And, you know, I I think the Road Warriors, that's, you know, obviously something that it resonated with people. And uh, we'll review it on on Friday's show. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, from compared to the last two, like certainly the Road Warriors have a way more recognition factor than some of the other subjects. Certainly a Herb Abrams. But, um, yeah. This is a very good number for them. You know, ever since like the 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 Schultz one did uh, really high rating, and then like every 
uh, all the uh, like the Herb Abram ones did really well. Then this one, to me, I think it really cements the fact that it's it's the name recognition of the show itself, and I think the the level of quality that people have come to expect with Dark Side of the Ring itself, rather than the subjects that they're covering. Um, certainly, next week with the uh, with the Owen show, I uh, I expect at this point, I expect that one to probably break the Benoit record. Yeah, I think it should hit 300. Uh, we'll see if it tops Benoit. I saw that trailer today. Like, it's going to be a really emotional show. Oh, I'll bet especially for you, John, like being so, you know, close to the close to the, the story. So, yeah, I, I look forward to uh, talking about uh, the Road Warriors one on Friday on Rewind of SmackDown, but then talking about the Owen one next week with you as well. Yes. Um, and last thing here was uh, WWE announcing that they will start a tournament uh, on SmackDown for the vacant Intercontinental title. So obviously they are not expecting uh, Sami Zayn to be available for the time being and doing what AEW did, go with a tournament and um, well, doing what it, they did themselves on NXT. Uh, that's true. Yeah, we are, we are heavy into tournaments. So maybe this will mean that um, guys can go undefeated on SmackDown and then be invited to Raw to lose every week. It'd be great if like Tazawa just found his way into this <laughs> tournament somehow. He, we'll find out if the theory is true. If he warms up Monday, does well Wednesday, is he burnt out by Friday or is he on a roll by Friday? It's a great question. Yeah. P- p- book him in the tournament. All of your news can be found at postwrestling.com. And do, do you Brady- have any thoughts on, I mean, we kind of talked about it already on Monday, but like, you know, it seems like there is a bit of controversy, a bit of debate about them taking the belt off of Sami Zayn. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it, I don't look at it as it would be one thing if it was the guy was the world champion and it's a, I just don't see losing the IC title as like a punishment. It's yeah. Me neither. Uh, uh, yeah. It's me like, less. like in the, in theory, it's like, okay, the guy was the champion and he's being stripped. This isn't Stipe Miocic being stripped of the heavyweight title. Cause he's a firefighter. Um, yeah. I just like, what is the added value that the IC title presents to you i think Sami Zayn, when he's ready to come back i think he's going to be in the same spot i think he'll be in the same spot with nakamura and cesaro he'll have he'll have you know uh, i would say a prominent spot on smackdown that he had had prior i don't think his his push will be diminished and they've also kind of introduced this story where he's still claiming to be the champion so you have that program when he comes back to go for his title um and, and do something there so i mean yeah it's it it does send a, a bit of a message for someone that's that's not available that you could you could argue it's like he's he's being punished for it but it's at the end of the day it's the IC title it's I yeah I, I can't get too bent out of shape over it I mean beyond like the value of the the prop itself to me it's I mean it's just a prop it's just a plot device and I I um I think WWE is certainly within their rights to just do whatever they want with their plot device um. It would be a different case if he's when he is available that they stop using him or he's in a diminished role. But I, I don't believe that's going to be the case. I think he's going to come back and he's going to like he was, you know, becoming, you know, not not like a main player, but right but below that. And I think he's going to be he's right back into his regular role. He's going to have a lot of TV time and he'll be involved in this IC title, whatever the, the picture is afterwards. So. I think it's just hey, it's we we need a tool to get through all this television, and we need it. And you take as much time as you want, and then when you come back, you'll you'll be figured in. Yep. SmackDown needs you know heels, and and he's you know proven to be um, entertaining in this role. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, what, I, I, I guess I do wonder what they initially had planned for Zayn after the program uh, at WrestleMania, after the match at WrestleMania, who he was supposed to face, who, how much, how much of a, of a prominent in-ring competitor he was scheduled to be after WrestleMania. But, um, you know, I could see that certainly perhaps changing, but at the same time, it's like, you know, um, I, I probably didn't expect that run to last that long anyway. And I think ultimately he would have just reverted back to being a manager, but who knows at this point, maybe he'll come back and he'll be an interim competitor again. All right. We will now head into, uh, our review of dynamite. You can also check out, uh, up next with uh Braden and Davey with a full rundown of NXT and Eric Marcotte has a rundown of the UFC fight night card from uh, Jacksonville, Florida as well. And got it. Got it. Right. I, I, I nailed it. And uh, Thursday, Cafe Hangout live at 3 p.m. Eastern time. We'll have Andrew Thompson on at the beginning of the show. Uh, he's dropping an interview with Nick Aldis on the site tomorrow, the NWA heavyweight champion. And Friday, I'm very excited for the big Euro transfer window. The Euro transfer window. Yes, it's a huge addition of the British wrestling experience. I believe the guys have just recorded it this today. Uh, I look forward to to listening to it. It seems incredibly elaborate, and it seems like the results were uh, incredible. Well, look forward to that. Maybe the most anticipated show of the week. Maybe of the year. Um, Dynamite, though, from Daly's Place. We started things off. We had uh, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, Excalibur on commentary. This was taped last week. Uh, and then next week, uh, they will be live. Last Thursday? Uh, I don't know what day it was done. I don't know if they did it the Wednesday. In con- I-, I imagine it was the Thursday, because I don't think they would have taped out of order. Um, because last week, um, Wednesday or Thursday, it sounds like they, they did it. Right. Okay. The show kicks off with Lance Archer beating out uh, beating up some dude coming out from the back. Oh, by the way, and- they, they included Sammy getting run over by the golf cart in the opening uh video oh yeah he was um it looks even better with all the the green smoke or whatever effects they have coming and he had the the neck brace on throughout tonight's show he did yes so lance is destroying this dude jake is following him out and week two uh the mask has been ditched yeah i don't even know what what really attempt that was i mean i guess is it, perhaps there's a rule that if you're going to sit in the corner little spot next to the ramp, you you have to have your mask on because Orange Cassidy assumed it and he had the mask on. But when he got up on to actually perform, he took the mask off. I don't know. Who who knows? It's, um, you know, at, at UFC on Saturday, I mean, um, today, the New York Times, they printed out like the whole protocol that the UFC had presented that their shows were going to run by. And, you know, th- there were lots of instances on Saturday where they were not following their own set of protocol that they had put in right down to, you know, Dana White wasn't wearing a mask at all. And it was understood that all those around in that area, they they would all have masks on, save for the fighters. And I mean, you had you know, Joe Rogan, apparently, like he insisted on doing all the interviews inside of the octagon, even though he was supposed to do them from the floor. Um, he said no. Well, yeah, I mean, the guy's like been doing interviews every single week on his own podcast. And I mean, he seems incredibly confident in the testing results. And uh, I, you know, from knowing what we've what I've heard from Dr. Patel, um, I think it just sends a really bad message. Actually, knowing what we know of Jacques Ray, what happened to him? I think it, it's incredibly like it's really bad 
to have that overconfidence. Have you heard about um, NASCAR? No. What happened? They're, they've got like these races coming up. They're not going to use te- – they're not going to do COVID testing. Oh, okay. They've stated um, – as, as Sorry, like because they – yeah, please explain. What's, what's Okay, what's, so th- this is from uh, reporter uh, – NASCAR reporter Bob Pockress. NASCAR said they won't have rapid tests, that the medical professional will look at heart rate, pulse, oxygenation, etc., and make a determination if someone can compete – designated times for teams drivers yeah so anyway it's like they're not using testing um but they're testing like like they're doing they're doing like the like temperatures like the bare minimum right yeah um that's a different sport for another podcast to rant about i mean i feel like at this point i'm just like you know there's n- says there's NASCAR money. NASCAR said it does not have access to testing that wouldn't take a day or more to complete and doesn't want to take tests from people who need them. Right. So like that's their justification. But imagine if UFC had taken that tact, Jacare fights on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, like mixed martial arts and NASCAR are, are very different in terms of physical contact. Um I can't even really talk about NASCAR. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to try. That's a bridge too far for <laughs> for us for us to go, but um anyway, it's yeah. uh it's the uh, but getting back to the initial point, like you know, it it was brought up on this show and like Joe Rogan has said it and it just seems to be like there is um a confusion out there of what, you know, testing negative means. And you know, you listen to Joe Rogan and it, it, like what he was saying on the broadcast Saturday was that you know, we've, we've all tested negative. So what's the problem? And it's just like, it just seems like some don't understand like what that means. It's like you, your test came back negative. That does not mean you're out of the woods and certainly does not mean that you should be abandoning all caution. So for people who, who haven't heard, I don't know if we even mentioned it on, on any of these shows, but Jacques Array, when he got there with his quarterman uh, to, to, to the, to Jacksonville, Right away, he informed them, hey, like I've been with family members who, who have been in contact with people with coronavirus or you know, whatever. They did tests. They passed two tests. Two of their COVID tests came back negative. It was the third test they did after weigh-ins, John. Is that right? He took a test on the Wednesday that came back on the Friday, and that was the positive test. Okay. So when did he arrive at the venue? He arrived Wednesday and informed them of that. And then the, the like the swab test, it took until Friday for them to get that result. That came back positive. And that's when he was told um, on Wednesday they had told him to, to distance himself. And, but he was still in the hotel. And that's when we saw the, the, the videos circulating of you know him out and about. And then Friday they get the, the positive test back and, and he's off. But you know the, the, the issue is that you can test negative and it could be a case where – it's just like it has not spread that it's not been detected yet. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're completely out of the woods and that there's no like probably you're negative. But the operative word there is probably. Pauline like works works in a hospital where like this shit is going crazy right now. And um, she's told me like she's, she has colleagues that show all the signs of COVID, uh, but they test negative. But the protocol is for them to take the same safety measures anyway and to stay away from work if they right. are showing those signs. I mean, uh, it's just 
it's a complicated issue. I think we're all trying to learn a bit more about it, but I think to go out there, especially on a public forum, and to like almost like laugh or mock and and, and really like you know, um, I think Rogan the, got a lot of flack for like just how he should. Like to be to, to to mock people for being over careful or like you know oversensitive uh, about their own safety, I think is 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 wrong. And you know, I, I place like during this time, like if you are if you have a platform and Joe Rogan has one of the biggest, uh, I think that there's an enormous amount of responsibility on you for the information that you are are sharing. Like a lot of people are hearing lots of different messages and there's a lot of misinformation out there and i think it's really important that you know all of the facts that you're talking about yeah but that's a sidebar issue okay um jake was not wearing his mask they replay the snake angle from last week but uh completely eliminate the imagery of jake over top of brandy uh that was nowhere to be seen here in this replay hmm yeah uh do you do you look into that at all? Is that a, an admission that um, it tells me they don't know. They, they didn't want to replay it? I, I would imagine, like I don't know if that was just like an audible by Jake or or what, but I mean they did not call any attention to it, and I'm right. I'm, I'm sure they weren't. They did not want to replay it. Um, Jake says he has been asked to apologize, and he will as soon as she kisses his ass, and said, "When you enter this ring, it's no man's land." This is our book. We're the authors, and we are writing every chapter. I was getting ready for Akam and Razar to run in. He says, women are great at home cooking, wiping baby's butts, and when it's cold outside, keeping him warm. And he has a woman that comes to see him, but he has to first watch Lance's work because that's what excites him. <laughs> this was just – this was Damn. Jake in like his gravelly voice just coming off like – the most chauvinistic and just gross individual. This was, like beyond, this was beyond the man, Jake Roberts. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I was waiting for him to spot the chocolate on his shirt. <laughs> I just like I, – I, I have a – I guess I, I can look at somebody, you know, logging into New Japan World very differently uh, with the mental image of Jake Roberts watching <laughs> Lance Archer Christ. matches. Yeah, Jake hasn't gotten rid of that New Japan World subscription. No, he needs it. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he addresses Cody. It's time to pay the piper. And then all of a sudden, there's an engine revving. And we go outside, and there's Cody in his American Nightmare customized Ford F-150. And he just plows into a series of garbage and trash cans. Totally needlessly, I thought. But... um. I it's guess true, to make a point. I mean, why did he... I thought he was going to drive right into the arena, but he was like, "Okay, that that's it. I just <laughs> wanted to make this noise and dent my fucking Jeep here." Yeah, that thing's going to cost him like at least like, you know, $500 to fix, I'm sure, if it scratched his bumper. Um cuz like he ended up having to park the car and had to walk out anyway. He's <laughs> like he had to physically like put it into park and like get out of the car. It's like this was not thought out. This was this was not Steve Austin entering a venue. I would not yeah, want Steve not. Austin to get a fender bender and just immediately abandon the vehicle. Yeah. His fists are all taped up. He's also dressed to like go out to like some uh, uh, to some fine restaurant afterwards. It was uh, quite the contrast. And 
He starts fighting with Lance Archer, kicks him low. Then he spots Jake, but he gets attacked from behind. Uh, he grabs Lance Archer's ponytail, wraps it around, and tries to choke the man with his own hair. Yeah, which is, uh, I mean, it's a liability. Is that legal? Can you choke somebody with their own hair? Um, I mean, this was not sanctioned, so I mean, he got away with it. I would imagine. I would imagine the Florida Commission is like not that would not be the thing that would tip them off to uh, uh, sanction anyone here. Well, what is the difference between this and like um, you know, like a like a Cobra Clutch, you know, using a man's arm to choke himself out? I mean, you you could argue that the the hair is not necessarily a body part. I mean, we've had this discussion before. Like, if if Bianca That's Belair true. could use her hair for a rope break. Does that constitute a rope break? Yeah, but, but are these playoff rules? Uh, well, there's no playoffs right now, so there's no rules. They're kind of in the playoffs. They're in the finals of the of this tournament. Oh, they are, but no one else is. So they have no playoffs to reference. Okay. Uh, he avoided the blackout. Then the Cody Cutter gets stopped. Jake is, meanwhile, just on the microphone, just yelling about Cody's just a squirrel trying to get a nut. And all... Oh, God. The- I tried. Uh, no, I'm just laughing. Everything Jake. with Jake is like sexualized now, <laughs> and it's know. gross. <laughs> All the people are chanting for Cody. There, dude, there was so much chanting. Like, I knew they had like the pack of people, but I was almost thinking like there was like piped in noise. There was so much. And I don't even say that like it sounded bad, but there just sounded like so many people. It sounded like the loudest uh, of any show since these empty arena shows. And yeah. I know, I know they had more people, um, you know, than the last set of tapings, of course, but this one even sounded louder than last week. So like there was a whole like section of people that they had there. Yeah. Um, and it was all in one section as, as well. I mean, essentially um, it, this show had a crowd like it, 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 of course, like a full crowd would have sounded very different, but all the things that I think we've, you know, criticized about these empty arena shows feeling dead, I didn't have that with this show. Like I, no, I, I, no, it was like it was like the. I mean, there was a legitimate crowd there. It felt closer to the UFC show on Saturday, which had like the ambience of like all the cornermen yelling, and you had noise throughout, and it, and it just worked. And I will guarantee Tony Khan watched that UFC card, so I'm really curious to see what next week's show looks like if Tony Khan took any hints from that UFC presentation because I, I would guarantee he watched that. So maybe you would have like you know. Um, the commentary Caliber. getting uh, – they're going to be ringside at the pay-per-view. We and all, we're all tested. What's the big deal? Yeah. The, well, I was going to say that um, you know Lance Archer would get tips from uh, uh, Excalibur to like check the Cody's leg kicks or something. Oh. Yes. Because he had fighters like hearing the commentary that and adjusting their, their game plans. I guess Taz would would work better in, the, in that role uh, to be breaking down uh, technique. Uh, we got a feature on the tag division and other teams stepping up while the Young Bucks and the champions are gone. I like Which this is- video. I love the fact that, like, you know, they're taking this time, you know, even without, uh, the you know, having the people around, just using the TV time to catch us up on who the principal characters are in these divisions. They did it last week with the women's division. This week it was a tag division. And I know now who to focus on. It's... You know, it's the best friends. It's the Dark Order. It's Jurassic Express. Those are sort of like, you know, your upper tier teams. And then you have below that Private Party, Proud and Powerful, SCU, the Lucha Brothers. And on top of that is, is Omega and Page. These are very simple, very effective, and um, well produced. Is this the 24-7 voiceover guy? It, it sounds identical to Leave Schreiber's voice from 
Oh, okay, yeah. I, I do. I, it, it, for all I know, it, it's like I would believe it's him, but I I don't know that for sure. But it, it sounds identical. Sounds super, like you know, high quality, high class. Mm-hmm. And they've really dialed back on those twenty four sevens. That it's it's not even it doesn't even feel like it, it's a copycat even at this point because it's um yeah. Yeah, we're almost removed from like those twenty four sevens. Whereas, you know, during the height of them, this would almost feel like you're just. Uh, but that's doing, fine. Like, Copy. It. Yeah, it, it works. It works. I love this voiceover guy. It's like this guy and uh, James Earl Jones in TNA. Wasn't James Earl Jones? Was it? No. It no, no, it was. That was the voice. That's the why guy everyone called him. Live? Um, no, no, no. That's a separate guy who did WWE voiceovers on the network. Oh, okay. He did the WrestleMania Rewind uh, voiceovers. Oh, but. Yeah, but the guy in TNA, it was he was just always called James Earl Jones voice guy. I think um I actually I follow David Sahadi on on Twitter and he actually posted a photo recently of the TNA voice guy being back. Yeah, in the he booth. was he was just there yeah. doing something. Barry Scott. Barry Scott, that's Barry his Barry Scott. Yes. So he'll be back. That's of all the TNA people WWE's brought in. How did they not get Barry Scott? Oh, they have their own voice people. I mean, they got Michael Rappaport. Why would you need anybody else? <laughs> Who would you ra- what would you rather opening up? So tonight we've got takeover in your house. It was only 25 years ago or we could have in your house. Could you imagine that guy opening up in your house? Those are two brand new ones I think Brad has to add to the to the compilation. Never Just heard of Michael Rappaport. I've done Michael Rappaport before when we've oh, had yeah. to review those ones. Yeah. The worst. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy against the best friends. They're really playing up the best friends on this role. And this was uh, Jungle Boy coming back. Uh, so they're focused on MJF, who's in the crowd, t- who will take on Jungle Boy at the pay-per-view. And we had Orange Cassidy and Marco Stunt ringside. Um, Jungle Boy drop kicks Trent off of Chuck's shoulders. And then there's a double team on the floor with Luchasaurus taking the vertical suplex. Best friends do the hug. And then Jungle Boy with a, a huge uh, on hero to the floor. Uh, Trent got hit with a question mark kick from Luchasaurus, and then Orange Cassidy is seen standing on the stage when out of nowhere, Phoenix, like, flies. He came into this like he was like Tarzan flying into the scene and just kicked this dude in the head. This was the coolest kick ever. It was amazing. Like, it was straight out of Mortal Kombat. It was so awesome. Yeah. Uh, Very jiffable kick. Like, this will probably make the AEW... Um, highlight reel uh, opening video next week but to me that was a highlight of this match it was yeah. it was uh, MJF just drilled Jungle Boy into the post and then threw him into the ring where Chuck hit him with the awful waffle for the win so the best friends are on this enormous win streak and then they're announced for the buy-in on the pre-show against Private Party in a number one contenders match what the hell has Private Party done in the last two months these guys have been beating everybody Good question. Uh, well, I'm, do we know the private party's record? Does that have anything well, to do with it? Well, what about momentum? They've had none. Well, uh, not sure. I, I don't know how all that stuff works. Uh, well, anyway. Yeah. Um, what I took from this, this ladder match is going to be incredible at Double or Nothing. Oh, yeah. I think so. We've got Phoenix, Orange Cassidy, Colt Cabana, and Darby Allen so far with five spots to be added. Um Sammy Guevara, I guess now he's in the, the, this uh, the stadium match we'll get into. So I guess he's one name that you would not expect for the ladder match. But I, I just think that's going to be off the charts. I think uh, AEW's like even their undercard roster is so loaded right now that um, 
they, you could put these guys in any sort of match, but especially a, a ladder match, so, so so well suited for so many of these high flyers. I, it, it definitely is going to be uh, like you know a, a, a buy-in match that'll actually be an attraction. The, the ladder match, the ladder match is on the pay per view. Oh, okay, never mind. It's I just the it tag match that's on the buy-in. Yeah, which tag match? The uh, best friends against private parties on the buy-in. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Wardlow then murdered Marco Stunt. They like cut over right in mid toss as Marco just flew into this guardrail. Thought the man was dead. I mean, that's his role. Then we had the big return of Alex Marvez trying to get a word with John Moxley, who just stormed past him. And Alex Marvez had the greatest reaction. He was very concerned. Yeah, he was. Yeah. (laughs) Penelope Ford. Hikaru Shida, Britt Baker, and Chris Statlander four-way match. Baker immediately curb-stomped Shida, and this is payback for the nose, and goes to smash her teeth when Statlander stops her. And uh, Baker is going for the lockjaw, and Chris Statlander pulls Baker uh, by the nose to stop the uh, the lockjaw on Shida. Uh, because of her broken nose. Yes, because of the broken nose. Uh, Ford then... She almost like tumbled off of the top and Statlander was trying to hold on to her and just dumped her onto the other women. Yeah, yeah, that that looked a bit weird. Um it was just like a lot of different like spots and saves. We had the big bang theory on Sheeta getting stopped by a Baker super kick. Uh Penelope Ford hit a lethal injection and then did the matrish into a stunner on Sheeta. Uh Statlander hit a, a cradle shock on Baker and then we had uh Kip Sabian hopped the guardrail, hold Hikaru Shida in place, and as Penelope ran at her, she got out of the way, and then Penelope just makes out with Kip Sabian, and Shida nailed them with a Insiguri. And Chris then comes back in for the save. Uh, Ford goes for a reverse Hurricane Rana and nearly loses Statlander in the process. Yeah, yeah, unfortunate. Um, so, so a lot of things here maybe didn't look so cleanly executed. Uh it, it was hit and miss uh, throughout, but it was like all action throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, it ends when Baker has Statlander on the floor and she's got her latex glove on for the uh, for the post-COVID-19 lockjaw. And meanwhile, Sheeta hits a backbreaker and a knee strike to Ford and wins after the knee strike. So it will be Hikaru Sheeta getting the title match against Nyla Rose while Baker will be taking on Chris Statlander at the pay-per-view. Um, so, some misses throughout this, but I thought overall it was, it was a fun action-packed four-way. Yes, I thought it was, despite the sloppiness, a very entertaining, very fast-paced match that I was thoroughly engaged by. I thought it was a really good way to push Sheeta firmly into that title picture with Nyla and I think also a great little showcase for the other women in your division, namely Penelope Ford, who, yes. you know, um, despite like, you know, sort of being on the losing end, still like is kind of being positioned right now as you're like, you know, like the biggest prospect that you have. Somebody who is uh, at that bottom level, but like really in probably several months time about to make her way into that title picture herself. And this was also a way to springboard to Baker versus Statlander. Uh, Pineapple Pete talked about being a pro for 16 years, Jericho showed no respect for the man that is Suge D, but he will tonight. A great um, little story. I think they've managed to build very organically just from, I'm sure, Jericho, you know, improvising on commentary. I love that AEW are taking advantage of this and giving TV time to this, you know, essential, essentially a jobber. 
Uh, they he had some TV time as well on Road Two, and it turns out, I mean, the man has a great personality and can and can talk. I'm not familiar with with Shug D from the past, but uh, clearly a veteran and somebody who's been waiting for an opportunity like this for a long time. And I mean, the match wasn't much later on, but you know, to get this amount of TV time to be able to showcase his personality, uh, I mean, you hit a, you hit the jackpot, really. Yeah, other than maybe uh, Goldberg and Lesnar, maybe this was the most well-promoted sub-two-minute match I can recall in recent memory. Uh, Santana and Ortiz took on Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy. They went a long time in this. Um, Matt starts off by attacking Santana and biting him, and then he had the bloody mouth that the announcers didn't really notice until midway through the match, and Jim Ross was asking what that was on his mouth, and Tony said... That's the inner Santana. The inner Santana. Ew. He, had, he had eaten them. Uh, they got the heat on Kenny Omega for, for a long period of time. They double teamed them with a combination Boston Crab, Camel Clutch. Uh, when they made the tag, Matt fought. the. Uh, he went for the twist of fate. It got stopped and he was sent to the floor. Um, Ortiz then sent Santana with a schoolboy into a rolling cutter onto Omega and then hit the uh, the senton in the corner. The sc- the street sweeper got avoided with a hurricane rana to Ortiz, and then Matt Hardy uh, brought in his submission, his ice pick that he was using, and Guevara then runs out while the submission's applied in his neck brace with a chair. So Matt releases the hold, hits a twist of fate onto the injured neck of Sammy Guevara, and then there's a V trigger to Ortiz and a twist of fate off of the turnbuckle as Ortiz and Santana lose to Omega and Matt Hardy. So so was was Sammy selling the golf cart? Yeah. But he was standing at the end, wasn't he? Of the episode. Well, he probably woke up the next day with whiplash. True, of course. Yes. I, I, I'm not complaining. I love that, you know, the, the, the golf cart shot is like, you know, feeling he's feeling lasting ramifications for something like that. I thought it was a very good straightforward tag team match. It made me kind of miss the fun and creativity though of the street fight that we saw last week. Overall, I did feel like it was a little long for me, but of course I understand, you know, wanting to give Omega and Hardy a lot of airtime. Omega and Hardy are in, like, Hardy's kind of in the faction with them, kind of not, but they just feel, seem like so different together. Yeah. They just feel like such um, different characters that are here together, and it just seems, um, you know. They, they, it, but that's only because you haven't seen them in any sort of, like, like you know backstage skid or anything like that like omega well, well that's it it's like he feels right now like he's just the fill-in for hangman until hangman comes back um yeah. but he'll it's be, a second he'll be the fill-in for cody too i bet uh yeah possibly so uh also in this uh there was a point where santana took a twist of fate and the guy like spiked himself taking this thing wrestling's dangerous well taz uh went for a redo with darby allen talking about the casino ladder match, and he apologizes for last week and bringing up the loss to Cody. And Taz proceeds to just explain the loss to to Cody in great detail and said, you got caught with a basic amateur wrestling move, a tilt. I can help you. Darby stands up and says, I know what a tilt is. In another life, I finished third in the state of Ohio in amateur wrestling. And he walks away. Yeah, um, you know, bronze medalist in a local competition. I think that's a great achievement. Um, what an odd storyline. I'm not really sure what this is leading to. 
I don't it, know, but this this was like to me like the Darby has always to me come off really well, and this this segment was just kind of weird. Well, we'll talk about odd fits. I think you know this whatever like it seems like it's a more of a heelish analytical commentator type of character Taz is playing now. It's it's it is a weird clash with somebody like Darby Allen, who you know is is seemingly like I would say the last guy to really be talking like wrestling strategy with. But I mean, I'm sure it's leading to something, and it's hard for me right now to really sense what that something is, other than perhaps is Taz going to be bringing in another wrestler to oppose Darby Allen? Well, that's fine. I I I'm fine going that way. Because I'm watching this and it was like the last person you want to pair um, someone with as like a manager or a mentor is Darby Allen. I do not want to see these two together. And Darby should be on his own. Yeah, it's like completely off. Um, I'm much more into that idea of Taz bringing in guys. And and I guess like the point of this is to show that that there's there's more than meets the eye with, uh, with Darby Allen. That this is a guy that does have wrestling credentials underneath and... I mean, maybe that was the whole point of this. I guess so. Yeah. Do we um, let Let's just you know, like speculate. Uh, is there a wrestler that you could see Taz would be well paired with? Um, are you saying like a new guy or someone that's that's already existing? It could be anything. Like, mm, I'd prefer someone on the roster rather than just bringing someone in. Rusev. As I just counter my own point Rusev. there. Yeah. Well, who knows? We'll find out. Um, so they explain the rules of the casino ladder match. It's going to be two competitors start, and then every 90 seconds, a new person enters, and there'll be nine people in the match, but it favors, unlike the Royal Rumble, it favors the people at the beginning because you can go for the the chip that is going to be above the ring that gets you your title shot, immediately so the first two competitors have the advantage that the others don't to immediately go for the chip so in theory this match could end before the ninth person even comes out okay the chip that's what they said would be hanging up there how big is this chip um i i don't know i imagine it's going to be of the level you know that they had for the set last year where john moxley was staying i hope it's a gigantic thing above that like you need a crane to take down like a big, big chip. Okay. Wow. Lexi was with Hikaru Shida. She's happy to challenge for the title. When Nyla Rose walks in and says she has a present for her, and out of nowhere, she's got a kendo stick behind her, and then nails are yelling, I found your kendo stick, bitch. Yes, that's right. Had to... Uh, made all the difference, I think. For, for all this uh, toxic... Uh, back and forth of AEW and NXT audiences. Finally, we have something that can bring WWE and AEW fans together. It's the word bitch. I think so. I think if you're going to sum up 2020 in wrestling with one word, it would be bitch. Yes. This year, brought to you by Meredith Brooks. See, I think um, I was about to talk about how I felt like this was the most English we've we've heard Hikaru Shida speak on TV since her debut. And you could certainly tell she was nervous doing it here, but I thought she did actually really well. So I only await the day where we can hear Hikaru Shida say the word bitch as well. It'll come. You got to build to that. Um, so then we had MJF destroy Lee Johnson. Uh, MJF attacked him before the bell, 
And then he's yelling at private party on the floor. They brought up in commentary that MJF's only loss in AEW was in a four-way that he never took the fall or was submitted in. So he's technically undefeated in AEW. He's got a better record than Wardlow. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Wardlow lost to Cody. Yeah. Um, has so he anyway, had a title shot yet? No, he. But if he beats Jungle Boy, he should he should certainly be in the mix, or else he's got a bad management team. Do you feel like they're actually still keeping up with like their their records and making sure that they make sense? Are they even still? They're still updating their rec- their rankings. Aren't yeah, they? yeah, they're always on the the lower third uh, when they come out. Okay. Why why don't why don't why aren't we getting those updates anymore? Remember they did like the video package, you know, updating us on, on the actual records. They did that for a week or two, and I guess they just dropped it. Um, I, I think they've kind of taken more of a, a of a step back where the rankings are there for when they can make sense. It's like we're not going to build everything around the record. It's more so going to be if the record can enhance a story, we'll lean on that. And right. that's what these are. They're just tools that exist. And hey, MJF has never technically lost a fall here. We can really run with that because we're building this guy up to be uh, a future title challenger. So I think I think that's going to be the case. It's not going to be um, overthinking things. It'll just be like like in MMA when there, a guy's on a streak. It's like, okay, here's an interesting story. It's two guys who have each won their last three fights. There's a bit of a story. Both have some momentum going into this fight. Well, I can tell you right now the top five at the AEW men's ranking. Okay. Number five, Darby Allen at five and three. Number four. Mr. Brody Lee at 4-0. Tied with him is Kenny Omega with a 2020 singles record of 4-0. And then above him, Lance Archer at 5-0. And at number one, 9-1, Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes. So Well, I mean, I mean, your top sense. matches all yeah. make sense for the pay-per-view. I mean, it's not uh, – you've got Cody and Archer, and Cody's number one, and he can't fight for that title. And then you have Brody Lee challenging for the championship. And I guess we we are going with 2020 records. So whatever MJF had prior doesn't exactly count. Uh, MJF won with a Fujiwara armbar in 244. Got on the promo. Uh, got on the microphone and said that he still has some ring rust and feels stiff. Don't you think so, Lee? The idea he shot on him. And he says he needs a tune-up match next week. And he noticed that Marco Stunt has an open contract at AEW. And he signed the dotted line, puts on his ring, and the match is set up for next week between MJF and Marco Stunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's going to murder Marco Stunt before he faces Jungle Boy. Poor Marco Stunt. I mean, he does a great job at it, though. He's he's a great Marco Stunt. He is. Yeah. Then we had Chris Jericho and Pineapple Pete. I thought for sure this was going to be the main event of the show, but it was not for obvious reasons. Um, Guevara comes out. He's just going nuts for this. This Jericho entrance is just it's great every time. Mm -hmm. And Guevara really does add a lot to it. He's like singing into the baseball bat that Jericho's been carrying around now while he's in the, the neck brace. Jericho is also wearing a Pineapple Pete shirt, which I would imagine is going to sell very well. I think so too. I mean, again, talk about hitting the jackpot. You have Chris Jericho wrestling, like wrestling in a match with you, and he's wearing your merch. So, uh, this spoiler alert: this was a very short match, but I'm sure the guy um, made a pretty good pro wrestling tease uh, sale day. 
that's that's how Jericho can be the ultimate heel is that once this character really gets over, Jericho comes out and informs him that I trademarked Pineapple Pete. Whoa. Right at the beginning. The second I called you that, I knew it was gold and I trademarked it. Why do you think I wore that shirt? All those royalties are going to Le Champion. <laughs> That'd be great. You got to come up with a new name. Oh and they've got to fight for the name. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Oh. Um, so Jericho, uh, you know, Pineapple Pete gets in his little offense here after Jericho slaps him. He fires up on him. And then out of the corner, he runs at Jericho into the Judas effect. He loses in a minute five. I thought he might give the guy a, a bit more than this, but this is really all it needed to be as well. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's it's ultimately this guy is your former AEW world champion against Pineapple Pete. I think, you know, Pineapple Pete got way more than anybody would have expected. And really, at this point, it was just a backdrop to to get to the angle. Jericho says that the threat of Pineapple Pete has now been vanquished. <laughs> that was a really good line. He asks, is the elite even a thing anymore? Hangman Page has quit the business. He's off in the forest collecting berries. The bucks are at home. He says, he asks uh, Sammy Guevara to say honorable, the honorable in Spanish. So he says, el honorable. He tells the elite, like Daniel Cormier telling John Jones, get your shit together. And he proposes the first ever stadium stampede match inside of an empty 80,000 seat football stadium, which presumably is going to be next door at TIAA Bank Field that they're going to do this. He goes to end it by saying the Ed Whalen line in the meantime and in between time, when Vanguard One flies in carrying the shirt that he stole from Jericho, and I just assigned a gender to Vanguard, Jericho proceeds to cut a promo on Vanguard, who accepts the match on behalf of the elite for the stampede, the stadium stampede. And when, when Jericho offers him the spot and it was rescinded, he said, it's too late for you to join the inner circle. We already have a new member. Let me introduce you to Floyd, his baseball bat. And what I liked about this so much is that the second you saw Vanguard fly in here, you had an inkling of what was going to happen. When he introduced Floyd, you knew a thousand percent what was going to happen. And instead of just going and delivering it, Jericho waited and he waited and you knew what was coming. And then it just built to this crescendo. He swung back and he Floyd murdered Vanguard on live television. And that was the death of this probably minimum $1,200 Vanguard. But I think it was certainly worth the investment that this segment uh, got out value wise. The toughest thing though was Jim Ross trying to call this thing because this was this was to me uh, for Jim Ross past his line of how serious can I take this? I I could see that I I I guess you know I I I wasn't really bothered by it because by this point I, I wasn't even really tuning into what the announcers were saying. I I was just enjoying the segment. I will never get tired of hearing Chris Jericho having a promo battle with a drone. Uh, and if this was to be the last one, I thought it was a great way to go out. We saw the death. Of a, I would say a pretty significant character in wrestling lore. Um, they also laid down the. Oh, challenge. that that Vanguard is completely resurrecting at that stadium. Oh, it'll match. be Vanguard two, I think. 
yeah, whatever you want to do. But yeah. there will be there will be some comedic uh, spot there with whatever Vanguard iteration. No doubt, of course. Yeah, but still, it's sad, John. Come on, you know, we've been yeah, through this was, so much. This was like Francesca. Oh, Vanguard is way more beloved than Francesca, I think. But uh, yeah, laying down the challenge here for this uh, stadium stampede match, a match, I mean, you know, it sounds like basically the Falls Count Anywhere anywhere match, but this time probably a five-on-five in an empty stadium. It's like taking last week and... Blowing it up. Blowing it up. I'm really looking forward to it, you know? Um, And again, I'm guessing because of Cody being busy that we'll have Matt Hardy taking his place in the Elite, uh, but it'll be a reunion of the Bucks and Paige, presumably. I think if this is going to be one of your top attractions for this pay-per-view, I think it's a very worthy attraction, especially coming off of the success of that first one. I mean, if that first empty arena match didn't go very well last week, um, this wouldn't have worked nearly as well. But because last one was so good, I think this one it feels like it's a big attraction because you know the level of creativity and action and pace that AEW is capable of in doing one of those. I still hope they do the angle next week where it's the inner circle. You've got the bucks out there and the beatdown is happening. And then hangman comes out and that's your closing scene of like the elite together. You have that. I mean, the bucks haven't even made their return yet. So you could, you could even space all that out. Yeah. I mean, you could have, um, yeah, I I think they'll have a really good show next week to set, to set this up. The big question is, do we get any kind of interaction between, uh, Vanguard and Mike Tyson? Um, that would be a dream. Maybe Mike Tyson gets involved in this thing. Uh, don't see that happening yet, but maybe, maybe. Does the, the, I'm sure Mike Tyson would have like his own prop. A joint? Joint? Have you seen his podcast? That's all he does. He just, just smokes weed on like his, on his show. I've not seen his podcast. Oh, um, Anyway, I, I think, yeah, this will be the main event of the show. I think this closes the show next weekend. Yeah, uh, an empty arena thing. I mean, I can only, like, uh, sorry, a, a, an empty stadium mm-hmm. match. Um, the likes of which I don't think the world will have seen since um, Minoru Suzuki versus um, Sancho Takagi, DDT. Yes, they'll be uh, they'll be watching their tapes of um, empty stadium shows from um, DDT to... Uh, WCW in July of 99 to uh, other examples. But so if, they, maybe they'll watch the Blackjack Brawl to see what an empty, what, what a large empty space looks like. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was kind of kidding, but at the same time, not really, because I, I really do feel like DDT, um, whether or not they know it, has really created a template for so much of what's going on. And I'm sure, like, you know, um, that's much of Kenny's influence is like the, the amount of creativity that you can have. And in a, a, a space as big as a, as a stadium, I'm sure the gags will be a plenty, you know, um, like what, look at what they were able to do with a crane and a golf cart, multiply that by whatever else you'd be able to cram into a stadium. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Yeah. And with all of this focus now, uh, like there's been no teases on TV. They have been on being the elite, but do you, do you see the revival being something that, they wait till after the pay-per-view to go in that direction? I think so. I don't think this particular pay-per-view needs it. I think, you know, it would probably need a big, you know, newsworthy event taking place within the show itself that people will be talking about after the fact. And 
the pay-per-view would be a great place to debut him. Although I, I do wonder if it's almost too expected at this point. Like, is that something you tease for uh, Dynamite? Big announcement. We got a big announcement, everybody. That's how you do it. Uh, so next week on TV, it's Marco Stunt versus MJF, Ray Phoenix versus Orange Cassidy, which should be in front of a crowd. That'd be super cool. It'll probably still be really good next week. Uh, then we had JR saying, I can't wait for this one. John Moxley versus 10. 10. Yes. 10. Uh, the Dark Order minion 10. Yeah. Is 10 the guy who, um, like we saw actually sign up. Remember, like there's like an, a guy who's like an amateur wrestler or something. Yeah, uh, the yeah, yeah, the the guy that uh, signed a few weeks ago. The um, yeah. so f- yeah, I, I I don't think that's ten, but maybe it's ten. Who knows? They haven't really explained it, but ten is the guy who actually uh, like has drawn checks on his chest, um, up to ten. So you know, he's ten. That's he's, it. He's three above seven, which uh, <laughs> who's also employed by AEW. That's right. Um, and also Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara and a face-to-face Arn Anderson and Jake Roberts. Will it be a face-to-face or will it be a face mask to face mask? What do you think? I hope it's face mask to face mask, but I think we both know better. Yeah, I don't expect many face masks in this face-to-face. Uh, this could be that could be a really good segment. Arn yes. getting to do a big promo spot. I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And then the main event was Brody Lee, Christopher Daniels, with Lee introduced as the self-proclaimed AEW champion that he came out uh, with the belt. And uh, Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian are in the crowd. Um, Lee is in control. He hit a spinning sidewalk slam. They went through the break. Um, Jim Ross got on Lee for not hooking the leg. And then Daniels counters a back body drop with a DDT, and uh, he starts fighting back here. Um Ten gets on the apron and gets yanked off by Kazarian and Sky as they insert themselves. Daniels kicks a chair into Lee and then he fires off with a chair shot. Flatliner into the Koji clutch when the Dark Order members are running in. They're stopped by SCU and Cabana, but they mention they never made contact with Brody Lee or Christopher Daniels. Therefore, no disqualification has been called. Daniels hits the Angels' wings and Brody Lee kicks out at one. Then he lands the BME only gets a two count and he comes off the top into a power bomb from Brody Lee who finishes him with the discus lariat. I thought for a main event, it was a bit of a weaker match. You know, it was a good match. There's nothing wrong with it. But for me, it didn't really have that main event level type of energy. I thought it was actually quite average, especially considering it was a guy who was a title contender in the main event of a dynamite. Uh, But maybe that's just, you know, my issues currently with, I think where the character is, it's, it, 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 they still have time, but like I think it's it's been a pretty generic build for this Moxley program thus far, with just the guy stealing a belt and you know a guy playing like a pretty generic cult leader still at this point. Yeah, I mean it's um, it's also not positioned now as the main event in my mind either. Um, it's a it's a match for the pay per view. Um, I, I thought Daniels actually had a pretty good performance here um, in the match, but you're right, like it's. Uh, it's a pretty high standard now for like these these main event matches on on Dynamite. Um, it was fine. I think that they just positioned it here, like they're trying to really push this program as the key thing. And then we had Moxley enter through the arena, attack the different members of the Dark Order. 
Uh, but then Lee just tossed one of them to Moxley and got out of there with 10. Him and 10 escaped. And Moxley cut a promo. He can admire guts and seizing the opportunity, but he does not suffer disrespect. Lee has made a foolish decision. He will pay dearly with interest. And the AEW title is more than just a piece of metal. And Brody Lee's going to find that out May 23rd. There will be a hailstorm of violence, and he might end Brody Lee's AEW career before he can say Luke. <laughs> no. Uh, before he can even start his career. And that's that how it ends. would have been a way better line, John. <laughs> Man. Um, so that, that ends uh, Dynamite. So yep. that's what we got. You know, for a taped show, I mean, often that comes with some disadvantage. Um, you know, either because you you kind of we kind of already know knew a great deal of what to expect on this show but uh, overall i still thought it was a very entertaining show i i i a number of the matches i thought were of you know pretty good quality um but the highlight for me was really the jericho vanguard stuff it's a great segment yeah it was um yeah this was a yeah fine episode of dynamite i think he got most of the key things in place for for double or nothing and you know, I, I think next week it sounds like it'll be a pretty strong go-home show to go into things uh, with what they have announced. And it'll be interesting to see the buzz they get out of this Tyson announcement. Does this does this resonate beyond, um, you know, wrestling news? Is this is this a big deal having Mike Tyson on a pay-per-view in this capacity where, I mean, it's it's a pretty small role, but it could be something bigger if they have something in mind for the pay-per-view. So that's something to monitor over the next week. But you know, a uh, fairly easy to watch edition of of Dynamite. One thing I'll add though, uh, that I thought we would get a lot of promotion for, and we got none, was John Moxley involved in that Cage Fighter movie uh, that we interviewed him about. Because not only is it airing on Fight, which you know carries these AEW shows, but he's presented as like the AEW champion, and it's like AEW is like his company in this movie. And I was kind of surprised they didn't even mention it for. And it's airing on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how how affiliated they are with it outside of you know having their branding appear on, in the movie. Um, I don't wonder if it was even anything they would have considered. Um, you know, I have no idea. Did you have you seen it yet? I have not. No. If if I have time, I'll. I, I'm kind of curious to watch it, but I just don't know if I'll have time this weekend or not. Right. I've got I've got to watch like two hours of Stan Hansen matches to chat with uh, Braden and Davy about next week. Oh, and Captain Marvel, and Captain Marvel. Yes, um, I got to finish the Last Dance at some point as well. That's this weekend too. Yeah, yeah, Final lots, 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 and the up Last Ride. Oh God, there's a when does that come out? Sunday. Sunday. Wow, Jesus yeah. Christ, there's a lot of stuff, dude. Yes, there is. Yep. And this is the weekend that doesn't have any pay per views. Hmm. So yeah, we've got a UFC Saturday. And now it looks like the following weekend, the UFC card that was apparently going to happen on May 23rd, head-to-head with Double or Nothing, they're now trying to run that show May 30th. Um, so it looks like... Wow. That's great you know, news for AEW. I think it makes almost no difference. I think it was like we barely even had a card for that UFC card. So, I mean, it doesn't hurt, but I didn't even think it was going to be a big uh, difference maker altogether. Uh, but let's go to feedback and see what all of you had to say. And we got a poll tonight. So I remember. tonight's yeah. tonight's dynamite. It's an eight point one seven. Let's start off here with Andrew from Cape Breton, who says, "So I knew the past number of weeks were with twenty five percent of the roster, but I still feel that those people who were wrestling during that time should be given priority if they were winning a lot. For example, 
I'm not a fan of the best friends having to fight for a number one contender shot against wrestlers who haven't wrestled that much in the past number of weeks, even with the pandemic going on. I know it shouldn't matter, but the fact that AEW makes a big deal out of its rankings makes it matter to me. They have done a decent job with their rankings, but I find this bit, this to be a bit egregious. I was also surprised at the match where Shug D finally got a crack at Chris Jericho went so short. It seemed they were building that up for weeks simply with Jericho yelling at Pineapple Pete. Then again, I'm being nitpicky. The show was still good tonight, and it's the best weekly pro wrestling program going today. The issue is, when you are the best weekly wrestling program, any negative is going to stand out. So, 6 out of 10 for me tonight. I mean, the deal with the best friends is that they couldn't get the tag title shot on this pay-per-view. So, do you put them in just a cold tag match, or do you put them in a match that at least has some kind of stakes to it uh, for them? I guess that that's where you go. But yeah, private party... Um, you know, in storyline, re- really does not have a path to the tag titles. That one match, they're going to be able to uh, override all the wins the best friends have had. The the Pineapple Pete thing, I, I would also contend that they probably weren't building t- to that for a week. So I think it was just Jericho making fun of this guy who wore a pineapple shirt. And then last week, they decided to build it up for an actual match. I would have just been curious if they had if they had let that match go enough time that, you know, with Jericho's star power and if they could win that quarter um, with Pineapple Pete of just we can we can uh, create a match that this guy was not on anyone's radar three weeks ago. And we were able to win a quarter just based off of Jericho making some jokes about a guy no one knows for three weeks and build to a match out of it. It would have been an interesting experiment, but um, to what game? Ego. That's what everything's about. <laughs> yeah. Do you Doug think Wright- Pineapple Pete is sticking around? Yes, I do. Okay. I, I think I, I think that guy probably won himself a job or at least a chance to uh, come back for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doug writes in another enjoyable show tonight, which for the most part felt energetic and moved along at a solid clip. The steady build to Double or Nothing is suddenly feeling close to a complete card. I'd have preferred perhaps just a few more names of entrance in the ladder match revealed tonight, but overall, it felt like the show did what it needed in building towards the pay-per-view. Energy seemed to run short for the main event for some reason. I'm not sure why, as the match was fine and closing sequence had me hooked, but perhaps more than other matches on this show, this missed the full live reaction. Uh, Rest in peace, Vanguard 1. We hope we see you... Uh, we hope to see you avenged. Eight out of ten show for me. I'm very much looking forward to double or nothing if the roster are carrying this much energy through next week and into the pay-per-view. We go to Kenny who says, fun show tonight. It really flew by and whoever mic'd the crowd tonight deserves an Emmy. It's crazy how much better this show felt compared to the other empty arena shows. I don't have much feedback, but just a question for you guys. How do you feel about another AEW title match that includes two former WWE guys? Ever since Jericho became the first champion, the pay-per-view title matches have included some combination of Cody, Jericho, Moxley, and now Brody Lee. Do you think this is a bad sign? Besides Brody or Jericho, what heel does AEW have that could legitimately main event against Mox on pay-per-view? I would say Pac, but he's another WWE guy. I I think that's the total wrong way. Like, Who's looking at Jericho uh, or Moxley or Cody right now and thinking WWE guys? I mean, it's, I guess some will, but those guys are completely different characters in this company. Brody Lee, I mean, they're trying to do a different character with him. I guess the jury's out on him. But, I mean, they have been super successful with those top three that um, I, I don't look at that as a bad sign at all. And they've it's not so much that... I am if you can bring someone over and you reinvent them and it's it's something different, it's um 
know, those have been three of their biggest stars. The problem, you know, like we've seen, for instance, with something like TNA, and, and I think, you know, what, like a, a very deserved criticism that they had when they were bringing in a lot of WWE guys were, I think a lot of their guys were just simply direct transfers from their WWE personas, in many cases, lesser versions of their WWE personas because they couldn't retain like full rights to their character or something. In this case, you are basically, you're taking the same performer, but you're completely making them into something fresh and something different. And I think the, the idea is that you are improving upon them. I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, when Steve Austin came in from WCW or when Mick Foley came in from WCW or ECW. Nobody complained that, hey, you're suddenly main inventing your show with a WCW guy or a DCW guy. These guys were brand new people, essentially, you know, being built from the ground up. Certainly, there's something to be said about, like, you know, the star power of somebody after the TV exposure that they've been able to receive from years spent in, in WWE. Um, but I think there's a difference between directly lifting where these guys were from another company and trying to recapture that. And, you know, the diff- a difference between that and just completely reinventing the raw talent that or you know exists within this person. Matthew from Vancouver. I think it's fair to say Dynamite feels like it's back on track. Uh, the positives for me this week included a dominating showcase for MJF. Daniel's doing a good job of making Brody Lee look like a credible challenger for Moxley and Nyla Rose finding Hikaru Shida's kendo stick. Negatives being the amount of interference in matches bordered on WCW Nitro 2000 levels. Absolutely no, not. not. <laughs> you're, you're out of your mind if you're comparing the show to that. The sloppiness in the women's match. Chris Statlander is a little green. My biggest concern is centered around Kenny Omega not coming across as a star. If anybody has been hurt doing the semi-empty arena era, it's been him. He feels very far away from being the main eventer. We know him to be. Highlight of the night was JR's call on the destruction of Vanguard 1. It's an inanimate object, for Christ's sake. Seven, here's your stick, bitch, out of ten. The Kenny thing, you know, continues, I guess, to be... Mm. Depending on how you look at it, I mean, it can be an issue. Or I personally just kind of look at it, at it as him, like deliberately staying away from the main event scene until there's more space for him to, you know, be required and be needed. Um, right now, you can argue he, you know, before of course everything happened, but you can argue he he's better served for the for a tag division that needs him. Certainly, they were building to Omega and Page versus the Bucks, which was you know to be a big rematch uh, whenever you got to that point. Um, and the he was of- having, he was also having that incredible stretch up and uh, up and including the Revolution pay per view where he had that that match with Pac on TV. He had was it the Phoenix match on TV, and then that that tag at the pay per view. Um, you know, him and Page had like really found themselves as like a tag team, um, and then you went into this period. Um, you know, I think he's just right now. He's kind of right now. He feels odd man out with with Page gone, but he was one of to me like the stars of that that street fight last week with the yeah. moonsault. And I think in the stadium match, you could really see him uh, shine with a lot of creativity. I mean, if you're looking at a DDT influence, like that's your link right there. Yep, yep. And like you know, Kenny's an executive, so he's in this thing for a long for the long haul. And even if he had to, like, you know, wait it out a year, uh, does he lose any value by not being in the main event scene? I personally don't think so, because I think the moment you decide to focus a good story on the guy, he'll be elevated right away, because in ring, he is still a very much a main, lo- main main event level performer. And I think still exists as a big draw the moment you put him into a big match with, you know, like um, the likes of a Cody or uh, a John Moxley again. 
So I think I don't I don't really sense the danger personally. We go to Rory. Is this me? Yes. We go to Rory from P- Poconos, Pennsylvania, and Rory. Um, this was not the Rory I drew at the beginning. Okay, so Rory don't from Poconos, Pennsylvania. Don't feel bad. You weren't going to win the T-shirt anyway. Yeah, if it was the other Rory, Way would just uh, skip your feedback. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Rory says, great show from AEW tonight. I enjoyed the wrestlers in the crowd and fans in the distant crowd making the show feel like a real live show. My main takeaway from the show was the tag team segment focusing on all the tag team opponents and focusing on Kenny Omega and Adam Page and AEW not stripping Hangman of the title despite his absence from AEW due to his family. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> it's a, a different company, um, different priorities, different situation. Well, um, yeah, there's, there's your feedback, everybody. Uh, they are different situations, though, I will say, because, I mean, one is a tag belt and the other is a singles. Um, th- but, there, yeah, I mean, there are a number of differences. And if you, if somebody wants to criticize WWE for, for stripping Sammy of the title, I, I don't completely dismiss it either. It's fine. But, like, I look at it so, like, to me, it's like this, like, if you win the Intercontinental title. That to me does not signal you're being pushed. It doesn't signal you're in any better position than without the title. Like, is would Daniel Bryan be in any bit different position if he had that Intercontinental title or not? No. So it's like I I just don't look at like the Intercontinental title as anything. Like it to me is like, um, man, they stripped Rob Gronkowski of the twenty four seven title. Like it's it's closer to that title than you know a title of importance. So I just I I can only get so. Uh, uh, bend out of shape over something that to me is meaningless. What would be uh, what would be more significant is that you know if if Zayn came back and you saw it like he had a diminished uh, push and less television time. That's all. That's all tangible things you can look at. But I don't think that's going to be the case. If it's just you know this title that he's vacating, I just it, it's a it's a title that just I don't think anyone takes seriously. That I, I think a lot of people would have to think for a few seconds to even remember who the champion was. I kind of feel like some of that is is due to, like, the person that's holding the belt, too. We all love Sami Zayn, but, like, I would hardly say he's been, you know, somebody that they've been treating like a special star. So, like, what I mean by that is if it was, like, an up-and-coming, you know, major project-focused guy of theirs that they're pushing, for instance, like, who am I thinking? Who's an up and coming guy they're pushing? Okay, let's say let's say it was Drew McIntyre on the same ascent that he was at, and he held the IC belt, and he was somebody that. WWE... Well, look at Andrade. Andrade had the U.S. title. He had that suspension. They didn't take the title off of him. Right. Although I could have seen them um, take the belt off him. Okay. Well, let's let's just talk about it, John. Do you think that there's a difference between somebody um, being unable to make it due to uh, travel restrictions and somebody choosing not to make it because? They don't want to do the show. Uh, case in point, um, well, well, wait, Jordan Devlin. Oh, okay. Sorry for travel restrictions versus. Okay. Um, no, I, like I, I think in both cases, like they've they've stripped both of like the titles. They like, haven't Zane. stripped Devlin. Yeah, they made an well, interim belt. Oh yeah. Okay. They made an interim belt. Well, could they have done that with the IC title? Do another interim title? Yeah, they could have, and they didn't. So what what does that tell you? I 
I'm sorry. I think we're giving way too much credence to this. Like, I, I just, I don't think it's like any kind of deal. Like, I don't think it's like this manipulative or deceptive uh, thing that they're doing. I think it's just we want a tournament and we're we're gonna run this with it. Yeah, you could do an interim intercontinental title, but I think you can only have the word in once in a title. So. They're not going to do that. <laughs> my and... point, my, well, what I'm trying to say is I don't think they really care that much about Sami Zayn and whether or not, you know, they 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 worry about the reputation that he's no, he no longer has a belt. You're I right. Mean, there, there's probably something to that. Like Zayn is not like a big, like, it's not someone, you're right, that's on the ascent to like a main event or something big like that. Um, it's a character that arguably really doesn't even need a belt. He's right. also like, let's also look at it at the fact that for his character getting stripped of it, it does give him a, a lot of like grievances to come back and and have you know promos about as well. Like this also will suit his character when he comes back. That from all indications, based on that tweet today, he's going to come back and feud with whoever the champion is, and he and he can say that the whole company is against him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I wonder when. I wonder when he would. Well, that that's on him. Like whenever he wants to come back. Mm-hmm. All right. That's going to wrap up the show, but we will be back Thursday. Cafe Hangout, 3 o'clock Eastern time. We will be live uh, for all patrons, and Andrew Thompson will join us. We'll have a rundown of uh, NXT. We will chat about the the ratings from tonight, and if you want to call in, chat about anything. NXT, UFC, uh, whatever's coming up this weekend, if you're going to be watching UFC or anything else that's going on, uh, we will be taking your calls. So we look forward to that, and the final word goes to Way. Um, final word about, uh, crispy.